morning. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's an honor to open scripture with you. If you have a copy of the Bible with you, whether it is in print form or digital form, join me in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, if you want to follow along and you've got your mobile device, there's a QR code on the screen. You can scan it and it'll take you to a spot where you can follow along this morning. While you're getting there, I want to remind you of two things. Number one, uh, this message is going to be kind of like a part one, uh, sort of. Uh, Part two, I'll be teaching tonight at our team night. So uh, if you're not a part of a serve team, uh, now's a great opportunity to come and find a serve team because you'll hear a great uh, part two of a a message to some things. And some of you are like, well, I I want to hear. Well, you you should should serve and be a part of the team. Don't miss out. Just saying. It's going to be good. I, I can't wait for tonight. It's going to be a really, really special time uh, together. Uh, and then the second thing is here in a couple weeks, we have water baptism coming up. And uh, if you have not yet taken the step to be water baptized, maybe inwardly, you know, man, I, I really, I'm going to follow this Jesus guy. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to follow him. Baptism is your next step, going public, a ceremony, if you will, a commencement of your life following Jesus. And so it's coming up. You can get signed up on our central hub. Uh, Stop by the next step area out in the lobby today. Get signed up. Don't drag your feet. Get in. It's going to be a really transformative time for you, and we love celebrating it. As a church, Matthew 15, we're in this collection uh, uh, called the King Jesus Gospel. And we're walking through uh, the book of Matthew, which is kind of like a biography, one of four biographies about the life and the person of Jesus. And we've made our way to Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is what the scriptures say. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. That's a no-no in 2022. I'm just saying. (laughs) You have no idea what disease you will catch if you don't wash your hands, people. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I'm about to get myself in trouble. Oh, verse 3, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Some of you young people are really glad we're not living according to the old law right now. That's all I got to say. But you say it all right for you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, "Sorry, can't help you. I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you." In this way, you say that you don't need to honor your parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas 
as if they were commands from God. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, um, do you realize you just offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says that you aren't defiled by what you eat because I got some bacon I'd really like to try, oh Lord. <laughs> Verse 16, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak actually come from your heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands can't defile you. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words. Help us listen to what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. I've been in ministry for uh, close to 20 years now. Uh, and it's inevitable over the, the course of those 20 years, on many different occasions, I've been asked to come and pray kind of before an event, especially like a sporting event. So I uh, used to uh, come and pray before softball games. Uh, I've been asked many times to pray before golf tournaments and those sorts of things. And it's inevitable. You would line up and get ready and get ready to say a prayer and everybody will start to remove their hats to pray. And uh, when we were in, uh, especially in softball, I remember one particular time, they asked me to pray. I was like, sure, I'd be happy to. And I stood up there and I prayed. Everybody took their hat off and I kept my hat on. And I prayed. And then we went on to the game. And one of my teammates who was a part of our church said, hey, um, why, didn't you, why didn't you take off your hat? I said, why did you take off your hat? And they, they said, well, because it's, it's disrespectful to pray with your hat on. I said, it's disrespectful to who? And where? And they were, well, like, I, I, well, I, God? I was like, I, I, I don't know. You tell me, is it more disrespectful that I prayed with my hat on or that everybody prayed with their hat off, put their hat back on, and is about to use God's name in vulgarities for the next two hours? <laughs> which, which, which one is, which one dishonors God? Which one is it again? Some of you cannot believe that your pastor is wearing a hat in church to preach. Great grandma is rolling in her grave. No, she ain't moving nowhere for a while. I can, I can assure you. It's a sign of disrespect. Well, it's kind of interesting. I, I went and I, I looked it up. Uh, number one, nowhere in, really in the Bible is the, does Jesus command us to take our hats off because it's disrespectful to God. 
It's actually just a cultural thing. In fact, it goes all the way back to the medieval times when knights would walk into um, a, pa a palace, a castle, a, a meeting. They would take off their helmets as actually a sign of peace, not of I'm here to do war. That's why they would why they would do it. And through the ages, it's gotten passed down, and people would will, will still to this day take their hats off when they come into a building, take their hats off when they pray, and all of these things. And that's great. We have a lot of middle school boys who do a great job as country gentlemen to take their hats off when they come into a building, but they tell jokes as dirty as ever before with their mouths. We have kids who understand the cultural understanding of respect, the signs, the outward symbols of respect, but yet they talk to their teachers as if their teachers are second-rate citizens. Is it uncomfortable in this room just yet? Are the religious spirits in you stirring a little bit? Boy, I sure hope so. Jesus was coming for us saying how easy it is to get tied up in our own tradition that we actually miss the person and the reality of what it looks like to honor and serve God, to bless the Lord, to honor him, to love him, to worship him, to have an inner purity. And we do this all the time. We add so many layers to our lives of rules and regulations and things that we say are right and wrong and this and that, and it's disrespectful here and disrespectful there. And, and I, I, I honestly, I don't have a problem when people take their hats off to pray. I'm, I'm not here trying to stick it to the man, but at the same time, I have zero personal conviction and definitely no biblical command for how I wear a hat or when I wear a hat. It's really just become a moment or a point of another accessory that people would wear. And to be honest, I don't, I don't have a preference one way or the other. And if you have a strong personal conviction, that's fine. Feel free. But let's not pretend like doing outward demonstrations of respect actually make you a respectable person. Let's not act like doing outward signs of honor actually make you an honorable person. Because we'll get up in arms about how people and what people do during the American flag being somewhere, but yet we will run our mouths and run other human beings who will bear the image of God into the ground with our words as if they're one and the same. And we have lost the connection between what real honor and respect is. Now, I do believe that respect and honor are different. I think respect can be earned and lost. It's an issue of trust. Honor, on the other hand, is something that you give regardless of character of a person, often because of just the position in which they hold and because God said to honor other people. So it really comes down to an issue of obedience and how we treat one another, much more than it is as to whether or not we feel they deserve to be treated that way or not. And as followers of Jesus, it's easy to just add all these cultural layers onto our lives, and we think they're one and the same. And in Jesus' day, they were doing the exact same thing. They were adding all of these extra things into the mix to try to get people to behave a way in which would make the leaders more comfortable. It was an issue of trying to control outcomes and do different things and make people jump hoops and do all these different things so that the Pharisees and the leaders didn't feel like the people weren't honoring God. Maybe just Let's just do this. If we do this, we can have this happen and this happen and this happen and that happen. Here's, here's the reality. I, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus 
is a holy king. Without regard, Jesus is the holy king. He is holy. He is worthy. He is other than. He is set apart. He is different. He is pure. He is righteous. Jesus is the holy king. And God wants his people, that's you and me, to be holy too. Not to pretend with pious holiness, but to actually be people of holiness. So often, instead of really allowing the purity of who Jesus is to grow and shape and sanctify and transform us, we settle for a polluted Pharisee pious view of holiness. And we think holiness is just about the externals, but yet we totally miss the internal. We miss the inner purity that Jesus is looking for. And we create these outward postures to, to, to create this posed view oftentimes of something that we wish were true on the inside. And that's not always the truth. And I'm going to talk about the opposite side of that here in a minute. But Jesus said here in verse 9, he said their worship is a farce. Because they teach man-made ideas as if they were exact commands from God. They, the Pharisees were really good at taking biblical commands and personal convictions and flipping the priority of them around. Where they would treat personal convictions or really practical solutions to problems that were forever ago, they, they would take these personal convictions and elevate them to the same level and priority as biblical commands. They would do these uh, kind of like fence laws for purity. In other words, uh, they want you to wash your hands and to do this and then this and then this, and that's all so that you don't become defiled and you just kind of keep it, keep it all out there. They, they were creating policies and rules and regulations and expectations for people to keep them from getting close to even considering doing something that would defile them. Extra laws, more than what God actually said were laws. It was, it's kind of like uh, back in the day where they said, don't, um, don't dance. Dancing is forbidden. Don't dance. It's unholy. Because if you dance, you'll get pregnant. It's just kind of like, if you don't leave enough room for the Holy Spirit in the little sway sway, there's a baby on the way way. It's just kind of like this. That was, the, that was the expectation in the church. Don't you dare dance because, all oh, it's way too worldly. Now, I believe that there ought to be some good personal convictions in your life that help you keep away from evil. We'll talk about that in a minute. But at the end of the day, we cannot look at personal convictions and call them biblical commands and expect everybody else to live that way. And they were creating these fence laws. It's kind of like our, our, uh, our bowl of mints. Have you noticed that we have these bowls of mints all, all around, these wonderful little lifesaver mints? Some of you have, have noticed uh, because you walk by and all of a sudden your pocket is bulging. 
And you're like, I love these things. This is wonderful. And your children love them. And nobody's paying attention to children who are taking whole handfuls of them and like pouring them into their pockets. And we have little kids running around with two pocketfuls of mints running around. And it's kind of like, I mean, how disrespectful. I mean, don't they realize other people need mints too? That other people might need a mint. And if they take more than their one mint on this honor system, that obviously they are not well acquainted with the cultural realities and the expectations in the Christian church that you only get one mint. <laughs> so the right answer, if we are being polluted Pharisees, was to put, is to put up a sign that says, don't you dare take more than one mint. <laughs> Friends, that's called legalism. Let me create a policy to police other people in areas that are not matters of sin and death, but matter of my preference on how what I think is more respectful than not. Jesus is a holy king. He wants his people to be holy, but he's not looking for us to use legalism to create our holiness. We are meant as followers of Jesus to be a nation of priests, not polluted Pharisees. We are a priesthood, a holy nation, a royal people. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. It says it like this, but you are not like that, friends. You are a chosen people. You, as followers of Jesus, marked by the love of God, forgiven in him, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession as a result so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light once you had no no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, oh, but now, friends, you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners in this world, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Jesus is making us a nation of priests, a nation of people who can go and have relationship directly with a holy God, a nation of people, a, a tribe and a language of a group of us who can go before the Lord at any moment in time, a group of people who can stand before God knowing that I have been forgiven from, God, from my sins, forgiven by God so I can stand and lift holy hands before God. Doesn't matter if I actually feel like I'm holy or not, Jesus declares me holy and righteous, therefore I walk in that identity as holy and righteous. I don't have to pretend, I don't have to be polluted, I don't have to try to, to make these outward demonstrations of things. No, listen, friends, being a holy priest starts with having a proper belief. A polluted Pharisee is someone who is full of unbelief about who Jesus really is and his power at work in our lives. It's interesting, in Matthew 15, if you were to keep reading, there's another story right after this of Jesus having an encounter with a, Gal a, a, a Gentile woman, a, a woman really from, from Cana. She was a Canaanite woman. And she comes and begs him and says, Jesus, would you, would you please come and, and, and heal my daughter? And she's like, listen, lady, I ain't got time for you. 
You are not one of the lost sheep of Israel. They're my priority. I've come to just help the Jews right now. And you are outside that, so I'm sorry. Good, good luck. Come back again another time. She's like, no, 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 but you don't understand. She's really sick and have mercy. And she worships him and adores him and does all these things. And she, she's like, but, but even the dogs get scraps from the master's table. Can I just get a scrap of who you are, Jesus? And if you're, not, if you're not aware that Jesus has the ability to speak joyfully, sarcastically, and have a little fun with people, you can easily misinterpret this passage as if Jesus is being a jerk. And he's not. But I find it very interesting that Matthew links these stories about the Pharisees who come one way to Jesus, followed by a Gentile woman coming to Jesus in another way. See, because the outwardness of the Pharisees was right and pure and holy before God. And the outward understanding of this Gentile woman is she is unclean, unholy, and profane before God. But you have on one hand the religious leaders coming, criticizing and scrutinizing and complaining about things to Jesus. But yet you have on this other hand a woman with a contrite heart, worshipful of Jesus, to Jesus. Even though on the outside she looks unclean, written off by society. And on the outside the Pharisees look like they ought to have his ear and he ought to do anything they ask of him. And you have this juxtaposition between these two mirrored thoughts of opposite end. One of them was demonstrating an arrogance and an entitlement. The other expressed worship and adulation for the king. The, the Pharisees were these outwardly pious but inwardly polluted. The Canaanite woman was deemed un, as an unclean person because of her nationality, of her lot in life, and where she lived. But her heart was full of belief as to who Jesus was and what he could do. G Matthew is giving us a flip of a script here saying you have one example over here of outward purity and inward pollution, but over here you have what appears to be outward pollution, but there's this inward purity of her belief in who Jesus is. It's interesting uh, when you look at this text and you understand all the way back in Leviticus when Jesus gave, when, when God rather gave Moses all of the purity laws, all of the laws of what they were to do and not do to be a pure, holy people, to, to be acceptable before God. When, when all of these rules and regulations, it would seem like God was giving them all of these laws in Leviticus. The reason, one of the reasons God was giving them all of these laws was because the Israelites were coming into a new land. And in that land, it was the land of Cana, of Canaan. And, and the Canaanites had inhabited the land. And the Canaanites had a certain way of worshiping their false gods and a certain lifestyle of worldliness that marred and profaned the very image of a holy God. And so God was giving these laws and rules and regulations as it related to their purity to demonstrate and be a countercultural action, to do something that would stand in direct contrast to the ways of the Canaanites, that the Israelites would be a different people, a peculiar nation, set apart for the praise and the purposes of God. And here we have in this story a woman who is a Canaanite, 
whose history and background is full of idol worship, full of paganism, full of, of, of profane living that mars the very image of God. And Jesus says on the outside, you would think we should just dismiss her, right? But there's something that's happening on the inside that is pure and worshipful and holy. Inner purity, friends, is a big deal to God. Inner purity is a big deal to God. Let's break this down for just a few more minutes. Inner purity is seen through our outward habits. Jesus said it that uh, that it, it, it's what comes out of a person. It's the outward things that represent and reflect and reveal an inward posture, an inward reality. He, he says things like it's not what it's not eating and drinking this and this kind of food is good and that kind of food is not good. It's not it's not those things that make you feel pure or not pure. He he says if your heart is impure, you're going to see the lying. You're going to see the deceitfulness. You're going to see the sexual immorality. You're going to see the anger and the hatred and the murder and the vitriol that comes spewing out of people's lives because when a person gets squeezed what's really on the inside comes out we've been talking about this over the last few weeks if you want to change what's going out you got to change what's coming in it's inside it's the inward things it's this inner purity but your inner purity is definitely seen through your outward habits if we are going to walk with an inward purity, it starts with this understanding that belief inwardly also has to be embodied outwardly. Believing in Jesus is an inward posture that leads to outward behavior. Because your belief is not a disembodied belief, it is an embodied belief. We talked about this last week. It, to say you love God, but to never do anything to demonstrate your love for God, do you really love God? It's one of those understandings in the Hebrew mind and the Jewish mind is, is that there are things that I know to be true, I think to be true, I, I even have an agreement with, but it's not just about an intellectual agreement. It's not about an emotional affinity for something. It's not even about a creed that we would confess aloud on a consistent basis. It's much more than that. It's something that starts there, but also is embodied in our in our lives. This is why the outward things do kind of matter, not because we're trying to work outside in, but rather because we're recognizing that there is something in me that is shifting and changing, and it has to work itself outside of me. Inner purity is seen through our outward habits. It's, it's seen in our hunger for proper righteousness before God. It's not seen in our performative righteousness where we're posturing and pretending for God. Just because you are doing the outward calisthenics of your life does not mean you have an inward purity. You can show up to church all week long if you want. It's your heart that must begin to change. It's the inward things that lead to this outward thing. There's, and I want to I be really, really careful because when, when you hear me say outward habits, I'm not saying be perfect or else. I think there is a world of difference between struggling in sin and fully embracing sin. 
There's a, there's a difference. There's a difference between the reality that like I am straining towards God. I want to move towards God. I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the pull of the world still kind of gets our attention sometimes. And the inward faith that we hold is not yet fully developed and strong enough to resist the pull of the world. I think one of the things we need to understand is in our struggle for sin, that's when we reach for the Spirit of God who is greater than the pull of the world around us. And when we develop the relationship with God and our faith begins to grow and get strong, the pull becomes a little bit less in our lives. But it doesn't mean the pull never goes away. What the, the difference really is, friends, and the danger moment is, is when we stop struggling in sin and we just freely start sinning again. Because somewhere in our hearts, our inward belief has turned to unbelief. And we've just kind of, well, I'll get forgiveness later, I guess. It's not really working. Just going to kind of, I don't know, friends, an inward purity is seen through our outward habits. Listen, Jesus doesn't need us to pretend or perform for us like we are pure. He actually wants us to become pure. So just because there is a pull of sin, friends, doesn't mean we stop moving towards purity. Well, just going to be a sinner. Can't really help that. No, that's stupid. Stop it. The Apostle Paul would say, oh, fool. Well, God's going to forgive me. Let me just enjoy the forgiveness of God. Stop it. That's nonsense. That's a waste of God's grace. His grace is a gift, gift known as the person of the Spirit. The Spirit is within you to grow, develop, and strengthen you so that you can walk in the direction of God. Let's not give God lip service. Well, I tried this week, Lord. You know my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. He knows it. Inner purity is a big deal to God. And if your outward habits look more sinful than they do look like someone full of the Spirit, we have to keep going to God and get something to shift. Because inner purity is a big deal for God. It's a big deal for God. Here's the second thing you need to understand about inner purity. Your inner purity is seen through your outward honor. It's seen through your outward honor. Let me kind of give you a working definition of the word honor. Honor is when you ascribe and express value towards someone. When you ascribe and express value towards someone. Jesus said it like this in verse 13. Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they are both going to fall into the ditch. See, the Pharisees were demanding outward honor from other people. The Pharisees were an interesting group of people. The Pharisees were what's known as a separatist group kind of self-proclaimed, self-appointed separatist group. 
They were a group of separatists that came together and decided, I'm going to join up with the group, the this, this, this sect of Pharisees, and we're going to live and live in a way that would demonstrate the right way in which we are to live as good Jews. And in our right living, we're also going to be the religious spokespeople for the nation of Israel. This is who they were. They were the public Jewish religious leaders and voices. Let me say it another way for us in 2022. They were religious influencers with an official blue check mark on Instagram. Because if the Pharisees talked about it, oh, it must be right. We need to all do this and that. That's what we all need to do. This person is talking about, oh, well, we better listen and we better go here. And this is who I watch and I follow. And oh, the Pharisees said to do it. Okay, good. Let's go here. Let's go. Do, let's do that. This is who they, they were. They, they were self-appointed spiritual gurus. There is a difference, friends, between self-appointed leaders and God-appointed leaders. We live in a world where anyone can put themselves out there as an expert about anything. We, we live in a time where anyone who walks in a position of authority, a position of power, where everyone feels like the proper response to people of authority, of power, of position, ought to be to speak truth to that person and not honor them. And there have been a lot of toxic things, even within Christendom, as it relates to toxic honor and honor culture and honor things. I completely understand that. But the toxic side of something doesn't mean that the true pure side of something also should be thrown out too. And there are a lot of people who have been self-appointed and self-adopted and self-proclaimed and anybody can go online and get a, a license to be an official minister and all these things. Listen, God cares very much about the selection process of those whom he appoints. There is a world of difference between self-appointed people and God-appointed people. There is a process, a proving ground. Scripture is really clear that those who labor in the word, those who speak the word, those who are, who are to serve within the church, that there is a proving ground, a slow process. There is a development that occurs. Listen, the disciples were with Jesus for three years. It's true. They, they hung out with him 24-7. They were with him all the time, and they were in, in, in a development process. It's true. And, and there is coming and there is this attitude in our culture that we must guard against because if we are not careful to guard against it, we will walk around thinking that it's the right thing to dishonor everyone no matter their position in place. And that's not God's plan for our lives. That's not God's plan for our lives. In fact, if you go to Matthew 13, you see an example where people dishonored the prophet, who was the prophet Jesus, in his hometown. Jesus said, no miracles, no mighty, there were not many miracles that he could do in Nazareth because the people withheld honor from him who was worthy of honor. Appointed. The man of God for that time, for that season, Jesus himself walking around. Like they withheld honor from him. And in withholding honor, they limited a move of God in their midst. 
one of the reasons why oftentimes we don't see a move of God in our lives is because we are living withholding honor from the people in our lives. And we are not helping them see the value of God in them, around them, and we are too busy dishonoring people who God tells us and commands us to honor. I get that. I understand that there's, there's been a lot of abuse of those things. Friends, the, the remedy for abuse is not disuse, it's proper use. The remedy to bad marriage is not to disband all marriage. It's to develop healthy, good marriage. Are, are we tracking? They withheld honor, and Jesus couldn't do many things. The very next chapter, you go from the end of Matthew 13 to the beginning of Matthew 14, you see an example of Herod throwing a party, and all of these things happen, which would ultimately lead to the beheading of John the Baptist, and it wasn't a matter of withholding honor, it was a matter of misplaced honor. They misplaced honor. Friends, can I just let you know, uh, our misplacing of honor reveals our unbelief. It will reveal a heart of unbelief. Let me say it another way. You and I automatically were created to give honor to something, and you give honor to things. Some of you give great honor to people who can rebuild and restore cars. You could talk for days about the engine and the process and this and that, and you are just adulating the skill and the ability that they have to rebuild cars. You're giving honor in that place. We, we can talk and quote stats, and we're going to stand and give ovations for athletes today. You have no problem giving honor. We, we will talk about it. You know more about what Patrick Mahomes can do than the King of Kings can do in your life. We will stand and we will give honor in places, but we'll show up in church and keep our mouth shut and not sing a song to the Lord. It's not about not giving honor. It's that you're misplacing your honor. And misplaced honor reveals unbelief. Unbelief becomes an issue of your inner purity. Why? Because honor is something that is seen and reveals an inward purity of God and motive and heart for God. October is what's known as Clergy Appreciation Month. And, and what I want to let you know is that our staff aren't just some like wide selection of group of people that we're like, oh yeah, they ought to be good. Let's give them a try. No, no, they've been through a process with the Lord. The Lord has prepared them. They, your elders and I have prayed, appointed them, blessed them, and set them in positions of leadership in this house. And we have just a real practical opportunity to honor them this month. I hesitated to use this as an illustration, but it just kind of fits. The Pharisees were self-appointed leaders. Friends, I really do believe that our staff in this house were God-appointed for this season to lead and to steward us. 
So what does that look like? Man, I think that if, if you have the ability to be generous, be generous to them specifically. If you have the ability to write a card, write a card. Show them some honor. Give them some thanks. Appreciate those who labor. Scripture tells us that those who labor in the word are worthy of double honor. Double what you would think about and do for others. I'm just saying it because it is a practical way this month for you to actually begin to look at ascribing value and honor for people who are on the outside. You have neighbors that you could ascribe some value and honor to. We all honor something and how we honor others or how we dishonor others reveals something on the inside about us. And Jesus was making sure that that, that we're not blind leading the blind, that we're not just trying to follow self-appointed leaders because they have an official check mark in this world. We're following people who recognize God's hand is on their life. God has led them, God has called them, and God has appointed them to do those things. He, here's the last thing. I want you to know that your inner purity starts with a correct heart posture. Really, we should have started here and then talked about honor and then talked about habits, but I wanted to end here instead. This is really where the entire sermon culminates for us. The entire part of what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that our inner purity starts with a correct heart posture. Because some of you, your heart posture is still, I can't, can't listen to this young guy. He's wearing a hat in church. I can't believe this is what God is saying. I, I can't be, that can't be right. It can't be true. That's not me. That's not... How dare you talk about appreciation and I just can't, just, just. Because the Pharisees valued their traditions, which kept them from hearing the truth that could set them free. That's true, next week I probably won't be wearing a hat in church. But I might. I've got a whole lot less sweat in my eyeballs today than I normally do. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> Inner purity starts with a correct heart posture. We have to begin to change the source file that is the code of our lives. We have to go back and change the, the root file of our unbelief which helps us output the right behavior that honors God on the outside too. That, that makes it so our worship isn't some farce before God. These <laughs> pretenders. You know, we, when we change the posture of our heart, something changes. This isn't an outside in. This isn't behavior modification. Well, I'm just going to do better and I'm going to get it right and I'm just going to buckle down. No, no, no. It's about changing, allowing God and his spirit and his word to change your heart. You cannot modify your behavior that honors God without modifying your heart of unbelief first. You have to start there. How do we modify our heart? How do we correct our heart posture? Let me give you two really practical things. You have to refresh the soil of your heart in worship. In worship. Hands up, voice lifted aloud, kneeling before the Lord, clapping before God, and if you need to, dancing before God. Worship him. 
When you worship him, you are ascribing honor and value and beauty to the one who is worthy anyways. Refresh the soil of your heart through worship. Psalm 51 says it like this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal, a faithful, allegiant spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. No, no. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. I'm not singing this song. I don't like this song. I don't like the words. I don't know the words. I don't. You can read, can't you? The words are on the screen. Open your mouth. Sorry, the Cardinals lost last night. I have a little bit of pumped up, pent up frustration. Re release my lips, O oh Lord, that I may praise you. You don't desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want burnt offerings, or I would give it the sacrifice you desire, God. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's what you're not going to despise, God. Worship of God refreshes the soil of our heart, and it begins to do a work in our belief system that allows inner purity to grow because God is after our hearts. Here's the last thing. Refresh the soil in your worship. Renew your mind through the word. It's believing in your heart and believing in your mind. It's the truth in your mind and the belief in your heart that causes you to live a different direction. Your mindset matters. Romans 12 says it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I'm on my knees begging you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because belief and faith must be embodied. I'm begging of you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will know what God's will is for you. How do you know what God's will is for you? He's given you his will and testament. Friends, renew your mind to what God's word says. Think about it, meditate on it, memorize it, hear it, listen again and again and again. Listen, this is what changes the inward in our lives. Friends, outward flourishing that Jesus longs and that you long for starts with an inward flourishing of your spirit. So renew the soil of your heart in worship. Refresh the soil of your heart in worship and renew your mind because of God's word in your life. Would you stand as we come to a moment of response before God? Just bow your heads for just to close your eyes. Just quiet your heart and mind for a second. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Has the soil of my heart become hard and bitter and unforgiving and judgmental and critical? 
haven't been trying to outwardly perform, but inwardly my heart is far from God. Lord, would you help us renew our minds this week? Lord, we want to honor you. We want to have habits that reflect an inward posture in our heart that is surrendered and obedient and broken. One that is alive because of Christ. Lord, refresh the soil of our heart this week as we sing and we worship to you. Lord, renew our mind with the truth of who you are so that we don't live with unbelief, but rather belief that you are good, that you are honorable, that, that your word that teaches us that is true, that we would move in that direction, that we would honor the people around us, God, so that they would experience the value and the love for God. But we thank you for your love in our lives. Can you just take a moment and just tell God, thank you for loving you. Go ahead, open your mouth, and with your lips, begin to tell him that you love him. Begin to tell him that he's worthy. Begin to tell him that he's holy. Go ahead, just lift a murmur of praise. It don't have to be loud, but just loud enough for you to hear it. Just begin to ascribe honor and value to God. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. All of my life, all of my thoughts, all of my things. God, God you're worthy. Would you create in us a clean heart? Renew a steadfast spirit in us. Renew a steadfast spirit in us. Don't cast us from your presence, God. Lord, we want to be with you. We want to be people of your presence, filled with your presence. God, we worship you today. Oh, you're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. Lord, create clean hearts in us. Let our inner purity let be, be, be an offering to you, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. And from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Lord, you do. You deserve all the glory and praise and honor we can give you. Lord, would you do an inward work in our heart that transforms our behavior and habits outwardly? Do a work in our hearts so that we can't help but honor the people around us. Because, Lord, they are loved by you, and you died for them too. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, and the people of God said, amen. Hey, well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Hey, go from here in God's grace and peace. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. 
Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.